Welcome to episode number three of the Black and Fashion Podcast with Anise Collier. Thanks guys for tuning in. Um, this segment today will be about building your brand foundation. Now, I may talk a little slower today. I'm tired. I literally just came off of a flight from LA, so bear with me and I'll probably have had nothing to eat. So my stomach is empty. You know you're not you when you're hungry. So, oh, I wanted to mention um, the intro to my podcast and the outro. I just wanted to make sure I shouted out the artist behind it. It is an artist by the name of Atelion, and the song is called Skin is Black. It's from uh, an album I believe he cut in like 2011. Um, it's a Chicago artist, very, very dope, so you could definitely check him out, I-T-Y-L-Y-O-N. So let me get right into it. So what I want to do is talk about building the foundation of your brand. So the first thing that you will want to do when building the foundation of your brand is figuring out who your target market is. So in order to actually figure out who your target market is, you would need to break down a customer profile. Within your customer profile, you would need to acknowledge what demographic you're targeting, what age group you're targeting, um, all the way down to the product category, meaning is it for women? Is it for men? Is it for a certain type of woman? So let me break this down. First thing you should start with would be your geographics, which would be the region. Where are you trying to sell? Um, for the most part, I see that people who, well, designers that start off designing, they try to design for a niche in the market, something that is near them. May it be... Let's say the designer is from New York City. She wants to create clothes for the working, multifaceted woman because that's what she's surrounded by. But then you have other women that are designers in New York who might want to cater to more of a California girl. She needs things that are lightweight, more airy, more swimwear. So the first thing to do is to figure out your geographic region, whether it's going to be within, even in North America, because it could be in South America. You could go for an entire sub, like, tropical vibe if you want to do like South America or like the Caribbean or a hotter environment. The second thing that you would want to do is recognize what the city size is. And you'd also want to research and do and find out what other designers are in that market and what they are selling and how you can set yourself apart from that designer. The second part of the the third part of the geographic breakdown would be the population density. 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 Is it suburban? Is it metropolitan? Is it rural? So you want to really, really break those down. And then also one of the biggest things, like I said, is climate. So does it get all four seasons? Does it only get one season? Does it get two seasons? Because when you're designing, you have to keep all of these things in mind of where you're going to target these clothes and how are you going to make money. If you are a season, a fall, winter designer, how are you going to make money in a city like Florida? Or how are you going to make money if you decide to sell your things in the Caribbean or in South America? So all of these things need to, you need to know what your geographic is and your breakdown with your target in order to design appropriately for it to actually be profitable. Next thing you want to break down is the demographic segmentation. Your demographic segmentation starts with age. 
You really do have to consider age when designing and when building the foundation of your brand. Now, I know a lot of designers like to start off saying that their clothing is for everyone, but you honestly have to be realistic and you have to hone in and narrow in on the exact age group that you're looking to target. Now, a college student being in the ages from 18 all the way to 23 is not going to have the same wardrobe needs and designer needs as a person that is, let's say, a president or a VP of a company which would be someone that's in their late 30s, early 40s. So when writing your target customer profile, you want to really consider, am I designing for someone that needs clothing for maybe the boardroom, for meetings, for parties, or am I designing clothing for someone who's going to a frat party, who's going to class, like who's going um, to football games? So make sure that you really target in. And the next thing would be is to analyze the income of someone that's in college versus the income that someone's in a VP level role. Keep those things in mind when you're designing. Um, if you want to keep gender in mind, now there's a lot of things that are genderless or things that could be one for one specific gender. Now, if you would like to have clothes that are androgynous, meaning they can be for a male or for a female, you have to consider all the characteristics of someone that is gonna be able to wear it, whether they be female or male and what their lifestyle actually looks like in order to create a garment for people like that. The next set of the demographics would be the household size and how much one household actually spends on clothing. So when considering household size, you want to think about, let's get an example, let's say a family of five in the suburban area. That suburban mom more than likely may either be a suburban mom or a working mom with a two-person household. But if she has, if your customer has three kids and she's in the house most of the day, is she spending the same type of money that someone um, who doesn't have any kids or someone that's retired or someone who's a newlywed is spending on clothing? Probably not. So when designing and making your plan and actually editing your line, when you start to put looks together, you have to think about, well, my girl is a newlywed. She's uh, an entrepreneur or, well, my girl's actually a house mom and she wants to step outside of her box and have outfits that she can wear to a soccer game to support the kids but also she could wear out with date night like with her husband these things I know are not initially something that you would think of when you're designing but they all play a big portion in how you design how you create your pricing strategy and ultimately how your sales are going to be in the end you do want to consider occupations now if you are targeting women that are in California, we know that California is a very, very rich state. May it be Beverly Hills, Bel Air, um, Orange County, that woman is going to be a full-size house, but the woman may not work. And then with her kids, her kids may be extremely spoiled. They may be heiress um, to, you know, fortunes of fortunes of money, which Ultimately, they wouldn't fall in the same category, let's say, a family size in the state of uh, Kentucky. <laughs> it's not gonna, they're not going to have the same benefits. That's why geographic and demographics and occupation and where they lie play a really big role within your design um, DNA. And when I design, when I say design DNA, I'm speaking to the actual core of the brand, like what it is that you're creating that also sets you apart from other designers, but also makes your 
personal step into the fashion industry. Now, what you want to do when creating these things is literally to list them out. And I do have templates um, to help you guys kind of manage out how to set in for a customer profile. And you can email me and I'll put it in the show notes at the end where you could get like some of these templates from. But each template should have like um, social cultural segmentation as well, which is what is the religion of the person that you're designing for? What is their national origin? What is their race? Like what is their social class? What is their marital status? So all of those things, once again, like I said, play a big portion of what you're doing. I definitely think that it's a good idea to explore different demographics and uh, social culture ideas when you're designing. Like, hey, where is the market niche at? Because that's when you're going to make the most money when being a designer is actually finding a niche in the market and something that you could create when designing and you talk to any business person any investment person is like what's your niche what is the niche market that you're trying to jump into and that's where you should go and that's why breaking down this segmentation will help you get there and then you also want to go through like the effective and cognitive segmentation which is more like um what their degree status is what um benefits they sued what's their attitude like what's their behavioral segment um you definitely want to try to have a brand that creates client loyalty um but if the behavior of your customer is not someone that's loyal i.e um a loyal customer a bargain shopper is not going to be a loyal customer a bargain shopper is someone who's going to look around for the best deal so if you want to create client loyalty within your brand you really do have to be able to set yourself apart one thing that'll help you set yourself apart is by uh, creating distinct characteristics within your brand. And you could create distinct characteristics, honestly, by using adjectives. And I would start with three and find three things that you want your brand to be known for. Um, for example, I also have a clothing brand. It's called Collier Vatine. Um, I specialize in jumpsuits, outerwear, and um, clutches, which is something that I've newly started to do. Beforehand, I always would just kind of design how I how I felt. So I did evening wear, I did dresses, I did jumpsuits, I did swimwear, I did a lingerie line before, I did multiple things before honing in and trying to figure out what I do. So now my distinct characteristics and my brand are color, classic, confidence, because that's what I want to pursue. I want to bestow into the women that I dress. I want them to be vibrant, which is why I chose color. Um, I want it to be classic. I want silhouettes that can go from season to season to season. Um, um, my brand is not a trendy brand at all, and I wanted to have confidence. And when I say confidence, I mean great fitting, um, things meant for women with curves, natural fibers, which can all take a different part within your brand. Um, knowing the difference between synthetic fibers and natural fibers is a big thing. Is your brand going to be sustainable? sustainable um is your brand going to do zero waste patterns and when i say zero waste patterns that means legit no waste that's a way of creating garments without cutting away any paper without cutting away any fabric and there's actually no waste and the only way to do sustainable zero waste patterns uh within your design is to also only use natural fibers so if you're using polyesters and acrylics and stuff like that, then you're not being sustainable. So this is another one of those things that you want to think about when it comes to designing. Um, just to name a few of like your natural fibers, for those of you who don't know, is like your wools, your cottons, linens, um, leather, fur, <laughs> which I know I always 
things that people like per se, especially during Fashion Week. You got your protesters out there throwing red blood on fur coats. <laughs> All I know is if I threw some blood on my fur coat, it would be. It don't want no smoke. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. But some of your synthetic fibers are gonna be, of course, polyester, nylons, acrylic, acetates, and um, these fabrications can be used and can be really good when creating some garments because they're made, they're man-made fibers, and because they are synthetic, you're able to manipulate these things to do things that, let's say, a cotton wouldn't do, a linen will fall, a silk. You know, you have to, in order to really get silk to stand, it has to have a blend in it. Like it has to have another piece of either a man-made fiber or it has to have another natural fiber blend into it in order for it to really be able to be manipulated. Now, I want to move into your customer profile narrative. When you're creating your customer profile, you really should write a narrative of the day and night of that woman um, from the start of her day, like really, really dig deep into your imagination and come up with an entire story for this woman and what she wears throughout that day or changes into should lead you within your design and your creating when actually talking and discussing hey this is she gets up in like when I say head to toe like when she how she gets up in the morning what her family life is like where she's living where she's commuting to what she's doing during her work hours what she's doing after work hours all the way until when she goes to sleep it'll really help you understand who your customer is and who you are designing for now when creating your brand you have to have basically a brand rationale, meaning the reason why you started the brand or let's say you already have a brand and you want to do a brand extension. You need to kind of come up with like a thesis of what you're going to offer as far as characteristics within your brand that's going to actually help you push that brand through. So for me in particular, my brand uh, rationale is a, a better fit for all silhouettes, meaning that I focus in on curves and in on height. Um, another one of my things is comfortability. So I definitely do um, more natural fibers than I do anything else because they are perfect with the skin. Um, another one that I use, of course, as I mentioned before, is bold colors and eclectic patterns. Well, what I do is what I want to do is make conservative um, work appropriate. So I want to basically bring a lot of color and patterns into the boardroom. And that was my focus. Another thing you want to discuss is your detail variations and how if you are only, let's say you're doing only dresses in your line, that would mean that it's for a specific type of woman who only wear dresses to work or in her daily life. Whereas if you design separates, there's a way to create separates and be able to create 30 looks from seven pieces. I've done it before. It just depends on how your woman is. If she's one who spends money on her garments, a woman that's in my opinion seven pieces for a collection of pieces she could turn into 30 outfits down the line, things that are reversible, things that are functional, things that are convertible, which is what I always push for things that um, to basically have a cost by wear. And what that means is if you are going to have a luxury line, luxury being from your price point 400 and above, it has to have a cost per wear. It has to have some type of functionality to it to make it worth that amount of money, whether it be it's produced domestically, 
um, whether it be its only natural fibers, whether it be reversible, convertible, um, and that you could actually mix and match it with other things within your wardrobe to make it actually worth the price point. Especially when you're starting off, you can't lean on your name. Of course, there are many designers that have uh, can make a, a sock and charge $400 for it because of their name. But when you're starting out, you don't have the Gucci luxury. You don't have the Louis Vuitton luxury. You don't have the Chanel luxury. So your cost per wear definitely has to be on point in order to engage and to attract customers. Now, I do want to point out to you guys that... Um, if it within the entrepreneurial road, you definitely will have your immediate circle of friends and people you grew up with, people you went to college with that initially take interest in your brand. However, um, those people sometimes are not willing to pay, and that's okay. You do not have to limit your price point or your brand based off of what your peers would buy and would not buy. That just means that they're not your customer target. They're not your target customer. They're not your customer. And that's okay. You cannot please everybody. And most of the people from my experience and with a lot of designers that I know, a lot of the people that we went to high school with, with the college with, they're not at that level in their lives. We're at a level where we're trying to build our brand and most of our peers are in the same level as us. So if you're charging five, $600 for a top, of course the person that's at the same level as you within their career field can't afford that. You're trying to get off the ground. They're trying to succeed in their career field. So they're absolutely not your customer. And that's okay and be okay with you know if someone trying to talk you down saying no do not flex on your prices do not ever flex on your prices and if you start off low it's very very hard to go high you have to start with a higher pricing strategy and then you could come down and you can make the fusion lines where they cater to different people with different budgets and different lifestyles. So what you want to do is within your pricing strategy, whatever your retail pricing is, keep it there, let it stay there and then create the fusion lines. Do not turn from a luxury brand into a budget brand just to meet the needs of the people that are surrounding you. And that's Going back to my first thing, that's why knowing who your customer is is more important because I had a time in my life where I had to take a second look back and try to figure out, like, am I, am I, am I charging too much? Like, am, is what I'm asking for, like, unreasonable? I remember I put up a sequence jacket um, on Instagram and I asked, you know, how much would you pay for this? And the jacket was all sequins. It was fully lined with silk. Um, it had embroidery on the front and on the back, and it had like a um, knitting on the cuffs. And a lot of the feedback that I got, because I posted it on my personal Instagram, was like, oh, it'll be, they'd pay $50, they'd pay $75 for a handmade jacket? Why the hell would I sell a handmade jacket for $50? That's insane. But I got maybe one person out of all of those people who said they would pay $250, for it because they understood the value of it. So you get 30 people telling you that they would only pay 50 for that, but you get that one person telling you that you would pay 250 300 for it. That's your customer. That is your customer. And recognize that that is your customer. So what I'm getting down to is when it comes to your branding, not always the people around you is going to be what you need. But 
there is a good idea to get feedback from those people in order to know whether you should have a diffusion brand. There are people who go this entire their entire life never buying a luxury garment, never buying a handmade garment, never stepping foot in a, a Neiman's, a Nordstrom's, a Bergdorf. That's just who they are as a person. But that doesn't mean that they don't want luxury. They just, it's just not something that they are willing to spend money on. I will definitely throw my mom out there. For example, my mother is a thrift store shopping woman. She would never spend more than maybe $20 on any piece of clothing. And that's just how she is. And that's who she is. That's the way the woman is almost 58 years old. And that's just who she is. She will not spend it. But she does like luxury things. And she likes the way they look. So if she find them in the thrift store, she's like, hey, 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 guess what I got me? Um, I can recall a time when she told me she found her some apple bottoms in the thrift store and how excited she was. And she's like, check me out, girl, check me out. And she showed me the apple bottoms on the back of her jeans and I was dying laughing. And I just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. But she was so excited. And apple bottoms isn't even luxury. But to her, it was. It was like, oh, my God, I got some apple bottom jeans. And that, I mean, apple bottoms is like $100. It's like budget. It's, it's a budget level brand, especially Back even well now it's like damn they're non-existent but back then it may have you know we went to Jimmy Jazz and got like an apple bottom outfit it might run you about one twenty five but that's what I'm saying like it doesn't matter uh, what type of shopper you are I do think that depending on what how your lifestyle is you may never need luxury and luxury garment but there are times when you would want it or just have like a piece of it um i would say even within the cosmetics industry that is the closest piece of luxury that most people get not most people that a lot of people would get to by having a a chanel perfume or having a a chanel lipstick or a yves saint laurent mascara and then that's like their little piece of into the luxury world so moving into the breakdown of where things lie. So budget level clothing would be your Walmart, your Target, Forever 21, Fashion Nova. <laughs> now your next step up from that would be moderate level. Your moderate level is Banana Republic, Express, BB. Step up from that, you get better. Better would be All Saints. Maybe Zara, depending on, because they do have items in there that will range from nine, from about $100 to $300. Now, above moderate, you get contemporary. Your contemporary is your Helmet Langs, your Alexander Wang. And when I say contemporary, your contemporary price point is anywhere from $300 to $800. After contemporary, there is luxury. Luxury minimum. $600, whether it be a top, a pair of leggings, like a luxury minimum is $600 for any garment that you buy, all the way up into about $1,200. Actually, I took that back up to like $3,000 because if you got a, a, a luxury color, when I say luxury, I do mean ready to wear. Luxury and ready to wear are pretty much the same category. Like I said, from $600 all the way up to three or $4,000. After that would be, I guess you can go to couture after that. And couture, of course, is garments that are thousands and thousands of dollars. They're handmade. Um, 
They are one-of-a-kind pieces. They're things that are very, very exclusive garments. And you'll find more couture in evening wear, um, in cocktail. You'll find your haute couture on the runway, which is a lot of times in a haute couture and avant-garde kind of fall very, very close within one another because avant-garde is damn near not even wearable. It's strictly for the runway. It's only for show. It's for the designer to really, really show their creativity. Um, I think we've seen a lot of avant-garde pieces at the last Met. Um, a lot of those things were very, very hard for a lot of those celebrities to walk in and to do without just sitting down. They went in there and they sat down. I guarantee you they weren't up walking around in those garments. And some of those garments that I seen on that runway were... 50, 60 pounds, which is why most of the celebrities have four and five people helping them walk upstairs and holding pieces of fabric because it's so much that it's almost unwearable. Um, there's a designer long, long ago. His name was Charles James, and he made garments like that, but he also never made any money because he they were not functional. The dresses were so big that the girls couldn't actually even get through the door. Now, when starting off as a designer, I'm sorry, you just do not want to go the avant-garde way because you're not at a point where you're museum worthy when you're coming into your entrepreneurship and coming into your brand. So I don't suggest that you start off making museum and installation and things for exhibits because they are not profitable. Um, Charles James was a beautiful designer. He made beautiful pieces, but his his line and his brand never made any money because no one could wear them. I want to challenge you guys as designers to always make things that are wearable, things that are functional, because if not, then you're really, I'm not going to say that you're wasting your time. I'm just going to say you're, it's a little premature for someone that's just getting into the game and just starting out with their brand. Now, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here and gotta go back a little bit into brand identity, like as I've been speaking about the entire time. Within your brand identity, I want you guys to, you know, also think about selling appeal and think about distribution. When you really break down that customer profile that I spoke about, you'll know how your customer shops. If your if your customer is a online shopper or if your customer is a brick and mortar shopper, and there's a very very big difference um, between the two. And you also have nowadays even programs where you could get boxes sent to you with clothing, um, and then you put on what you want in the convenience of your home, and then you send back what you don't want, which is a very good opportunity. Um, out there for any designers that's coming out and just throw it out there. The boxes being sent to people's homes with uh, an entire collection of items and then them trying them on in the convenience of their own home and then shipping it back is amazing. There are a lot of risks there about not being able to charge and not getting items back or getting items back damaged, but I think that we are living in a world of convenience and iPhones. If you can get an app developed and you can get a box delivered out and you can collect payment, you'd make a lot of money that way and you wouldn't have to worry about having a retail space or retail distribution or you know having to pitch to buyers. You're going directly to consumer. So if you are going to be in a position where you would like to be in a retail distribution, know what store you want to be in, know what floor of that store you want to be in and where you actually would position your brand. So 
what I believe when I first started out, I wanted to be in the ready to wear market. I wanted to make interchangeable pieces for the working woman in a multifaceted city. So the cities that I wanted to distribute in were Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York. And my retail, like my goal retail distribution was Nordstrom's. So I came up with this entire plan of how I would actually get into Nordstrom's. And you have to have that. You have to be on point with your line sheets, with your sell throughs, with your selling appeal, where you position yourself on the floor. I had it down to the visuals. Like during the uh, beginning stage, like the intro to my brand, I want to be front and center as soon as you walk into this department. And then I'll like to break it down. A selling cycle is within nine weeks. So the first three weeks is your introductory phase. The second three weeks is your uh, immediate, like intermediate stage. And then pretty much the last three weeks is like your sale or like promotion stage. So what I did was I created a visual map of how the clothing would be merchandised once it was in the front for intro, how it would slide off to like the side of the department and then how it would end up basically I would not, all, all retail stores don't have clearance racks, but more of like your promotional, your 20% off, your 30% off, like in the back and how I would actually maneuver around that store. And at the same time while doing that, you want to have a marketing plan. Phase one, introductory, phase two, and then phase three. And the first part of phase one, of course, would be to engage the customer. So that would be whether you wanted to do like a grand opening party or if you did like a special notion in the store where you had like a gift with purchase. And then when you get to your intermediate stage, that's the time you want to re-engage the customer. So let's say three weeks go by, your sell through is still maybe, let's say it's low. Because within the first three weeks, you should sell at least 30% of the merchandise. Let's say your three weeks come around and you've only sold 15% of that merchandise. You need to make up that 15 plus the extra 30 that you're supposed to sell in your intermediate phase. So you're supposed to sell, now you're looking to sell 45%. What are you going to do to sell those goods? How are you going to get the customer re-engaged? Should it be, oh, I'm going to create a program where if they sign up, they get 10% off their purchase? Or do I want to create a client loyalty program that you get every three garments you get, you get one half off or something like that? So that's how you want to kind of bring people in. And you want to bring people in with email blasts, with text blasts, with things on social media, which is like a powerful tool when you're going through the selling season. So those are things that you want to think about when pitching to buyers as well. You got to plan from the beginning of the intro all the way down to the end and how you're going to maneuver throughout. Now, if you're going direct to consumer, you don't really have to worry about the selling seasons in the retail store. And you make a lot of money because you basically knock the wholesaler out the way and you're going direct to consumer, which is amazing when you're manufacturing within the U.S. Because when you manufacture within the U.S. is a lot more expensive. So because it's more expensive to actually create garments here, you really do want to knock out that middleman. Like it's very, very difficult to make your margins when producing within the U.S., especially when you're starting out because you are going to be producing on a smaller scale. When you have to sell to uh, department stores and retail stores, you got to think about chargebacks. You got to think about shipping guidelines. You have to think about actually getting that thing with those items in the store before the cutoff dates. It's very, very hard. And most retailers are net either net 30, 60, or 90. So you're fronting all the money in the beginning and they can charge you back and not pay you if you miss their delivery window. You're Shipment could come in one day late, and by law, they're not obligated to pay anything. 
So I would definitely keep that in mind when it comes to moving into retail distribution instead of doing direct to consumer, which would help. So what I'm thinking now is that I can kind of bring you guys down into the production calendar process. So within your production calendar process, there's, I would say, you should be designing. I'm not going to say what you should do. I'm going to say your, I'm going to give you your typical production calendar because nowadays things are seasonless. People are not following the regular fashion week uh, guidelines and getting things out. I do think that starting out, you should, you should follow some of these guidelines. And then once you are a little bit more established, you can jump out into doing your own thing. So step one, which I'm doing this for a fall collection. Yeah, so step one would be yeah, the entire month of September. The entire month of September, you should be doing market research. Step two would be the month of October. You begin to design and sketch. Step three is in November, line development. You swatch in fabrics and you begin making samples. Step four, December, you're doing fittings. You're developing um, your production patterns. And you're also editing at this time as well. Step five, in January, you're taking the production patterns and you're making samples. So that way, in January, you're, that's market. That's when you're selling. That's when you're showing. And you're basically closing in on the orders. So February is the second edit of the assessment. What's sold at your trade shows and at your trunk shows and at your market sales and what you need to remove out of the line. You have to set cutoff dates for your production orders at this time. Step seven is March. Source all the fabric meals and start to intro to production. So that means getting your uh, tags together, your labeling together, your hang tags together. Now, step eight is April. You continue production and you're building marketing and promotional plan. That's when you're putting everything out via social media. You're doing your photo shoots and your ads. You're getting spots in editorial magazines for the fall. May is bag and tag production and distribution. So by the time May rolls around, everything should be on the hanger. Everything should have a label. Everything should have a hang tag, plastic, and ready to ship out to either warehouses if you are um, selling direct to consumer, or they should be ready to be shipped to your stores if you're selling in the retail market. Um, step 10 is distribution continues and, pro and that's June. Distribution continues and products are placed onto the selling floor. This is where that... Um, visual merchandising plan that I spoke of before, how things should maneuver, should be sent to all the stores and how the merchandise should be displayed and set up when it gets there. Uh, step 11 is July. You merchandise display is set up in the store. So this is when we are actually maneuvering. We're out of introduction. We're moving into intermediate and figuring out what we're going to do to finish off the selling season. And last is step 12. That's when you track and you retail selling and you start planning for the next season. And you basically repeat that every season. So don't think that you're going to design a collection and have it in stores in three months. It's honestly unrealistic. It does not give you enough time to really hone in on your fit. It doesn't give you enough time to get sales in, to get orders in. So make sure you guys are properly planning out your production schedules. Before you plan out your production schedules, make sure you've planned out your pricing strategy. <laughs> Once you've planned out your pricing strategy, make sure you know what your product categories are, your distribution, your distinct characteristics, your brand identity, your customer profile target so i hope that all of this was very helpful you guys can email me at blackinfashion at gmail.com for some of these templates i will have them up and running on my website in about two weeks um i have two record 
two reads that I recommend. One is called um, The Plan, The Process, The Product. It's by Lisa Newell Hopkins. Uh, she was my college professor and she was amazing, I must say. And she taught me a lot of different things. And the book is very, very informative on how to start this process and really to understand fashion, product, and not just fashion, shoes, cosmetics, like anything within the product. It's just, it's, the book is really about product. It doesn't necessarily step in on apparel. Um, it's very, very broad and you actually can learn a lot. And the second one would be um, starting your own fashion label. Um, I'll put it in the show notes who is by because I'm like drawing a blank, a blank right now and I don't remember who is by, but it's a really, really good read and I recommend it to a lot of people as well. And um, if you guys have any questions about anything that I said, please feel free to email me and let me know your thoughts or anything you'd like me to hit on. And thanks, you guys, for tuning in. You guys can keep up with me via all social media channels. My handle is Lenise Collier. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, you name it. You can also check out my brand um, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram under Collier Bateen. Uh, please feel free to send me messages, write comments, give me your feedback. I would love to hear from you guys. And once again, thanks for tuning in to the podcast. Have a good one. What you looking at? Masking is black. What you looking at? Masking is black. What you looking at? Masking.